Utterly Moderate is the official podcast of the Connors Forum. Visit us at connorsforum.org and be sure to subscribe to our free email newsletter while you are there. Please listen carefully. Carefully. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Utterly Moderate Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Seppard. I am extremely under the weather today. My voice is probably very difficult to listen to, and I I certainly apologize for that. But we do have a good show for you today. Uh, Real quick, though, I should mention an event we had this past week on November 29th with heavyweight political commentator Bill Kristol from The Bulwark. If you haven't subscribed to our free newsletter yet, this is one of the big perks of being a subscriber. So Connor's newsletter subscribers were invited to join an exclusive live podcast taping with Mr. Crystal, where they were able to pose questions themselves to the guests during the show. It was really, really cool. So head over to connorsforum.org, subscribe in just one click. It's definitely worth your while, I promise. On today's show, we are exploring the work of editorial cartoonists who work for newspapers all around the country. These are the folks who draw editorial cartoons that provide some political or social commentary on the important news of the day. Joining us to discuss this are Adam Ziglis, an editorial cartoonist at the Buffalo News, and Phil Hands, an editorial cartoonist at the Wisconsin State Journal. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Phil Hands and Adam Ziglis, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, Adam, with all due respect to you, uh, you know, sorry, you know, you have a great name, but Phil, <laughs> is there a better name for a political cartoonist than Phil Hands? I mean, come on, man. People always ask me if that's a pen name, and <laughs> and and I say, what kind of creep would name himself Phil Hands? I mean, jeez, <laughs> no, you know, and and my poor mother never, and she she still says to the, she named me Philip, you know, and she always thought Phil was such a sleazy name. Well, mom, I mean, somebody's going to shorten the name at some point. <laughs> you got to think of the nicknames. I never could have guessed the they would have shortened it to somebody. that. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, Phil, you work at uh, the Wisconsin State Journal, correct? Yeah, the the best paper in Wisconsin, in my humble opinion. And uh, Adam, you're at the Buffalo News. That's right. I've been at the Buffalo News about 18 years now. You know, Is that uh, the best paper in New York, Adam, in your humble opinion? It's uh, my opinion uh, is often humble. Um, the Buffalo News is the best regional paper in the country, in my humble opinion. Oh, okay. So. Okay. So you're, you're throwing it down. <laughs> Got it. It goes Buffalo News, then the New York Times and Wall Street Journal. Regional, so. regional paper. I gotcha. So. I, gotcha. <laughs> I will say the Buffalo News is a better cartoonist than the New York Times does. That's for darn sure. Oh, <laughs> this is true. Touche. I concur. I concur. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, you know, it's interesting when we do these podcasts each week, we see the analytics come in and you see where people are accessing and we have a huge contingent of listeners in Buffalo. So hello, Buffalo. 
Buffalo is a great radio town, a podcast town. Buffalo just has, when I'm listening to NPR, I often just, the percentage of people calling in to like all things considered or any, you know, all these shows will be from Buffalo and it blows my mind. It's, I think that's partly why the newspaper, we've had this history of insanely high penetration rate, like eight out of 10 Western New Yorkers read the paper. It's like this old school town where people, it's the right size of the city or it's this mid-sized city where people really want to know what's going on. And it's an engaged town. So, I mean, granted, I am biased because I grew up here, but um, it's a great place to work in a newspaper uh, or be, and be a cartoonist engaging with the community. Now, I have a, a very positive question for Adam and then Phil it's going to feel a little bit like a dig at you. So I've already complimented cool. your name. So now we'll flip it a little bit, but so I'll start with Adam. Uh, is, uh, is there just Super Bowl fever going on right there right now with the Bills? Oh my God. Yeah. hundred percent. It's, I mean, for like, you know, 17 years, I was drawing about, uh, you know, how horrible our football team was. And I grew Rob up Johnson. in yeah. this area. Oh my, yeah. The, <laughs> long, the long lists of quarterbacks, um, you know, the revolving door at one Bills drive. Um, and I grew up, you know, in the area. So I remember as a child, like going to Super Bowl parties when I was a little kid with grown men crying, like it, for this four straight Super Bowl losses. Yeah. But even so during this time when the, the drought years, um, you know, fans are still hardcore. You know, we all, we go to the games, we, we love the team through thick and thin. So right now there is just no shortage of celebration. You got, you know, street signs being changed to the name hurdle with a U with Josh Allen, you know, jumping over it. It's, it's pretty amazing. It's a great time to be in Buffalo. Yeah. And I can thank you guys for introducing uh, something to the, to our culture where we just had homecoming here at Shippensburg university. And I heard, I wasn't there, but I heard that three folding tables were broken uh, on purpose. <laughs> oh yeah. Bill's mafia are pretty serious. Um, yeah. It's the tailgate is no joke. And it's starting to, I think thanks to the bill's success, the, you know, it's starting to be seen as a positive <laughs> tailgating celebration because the bills are so good now. On a more serious note, uh, things are not looking great for the pack right now. What's going on? Uh, well, my Sundays are freed up pretty nicely. You know, uh, it's amazing how much you can get done when both. I mean, the the Badgers football team kind of sucks, and the Packers football team up kind of sucks. And so, if you're not invested in watching, you know, seven hours of football over the course of a weekend, you can go apple picking. You can spend time with your family. I mean, it is. It, it, you know, I, I'm enjoying all the fall, all the wonders of fall in Wisconsin without the football. It's you know. And and you know what? It's the Packers. They'll be great again at some point. They That's can true. still go to the Super Bowl this year. I mean, That's they got Rodgers. You know, they 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 sucked it up pretty good last year for a while. And yeah, you know, it, you never you never you know what's going to happen. Yeah, you can't rule out the pack. You can't rule out Aaron Rodgers. He's going to go on some sort of psychedelic trip, and you know, he'll he'll write the ship. You know, I don't know. I mean, there's more. I. I used to be really into the sports balls and all of those things and get really invested. And now my kids are of a certain age and they're, I'm much more interested in their sporting activities than I am in watching grown men play a game, you know? So, <laughs> so it's, you know, it is what it is. Maybe you call me un Wisconsin-y for, for not caring about it that much, but whatever. All right. Well, let's get to the topic for today. So you're both political cartoonists or, or, or do you call yourselves political cartoonists or editorial cartoonists? Uh, I refer to myself as an editorial cartoonist um, because I, we, I comment on more than just politics. And speaking of sports and bills, I have when the bills are good or when they're not good um, football season, I'll 
you know, have one or two takes uh, a week sometimes um, on sports issues, you know, comment on other things beyond politics. So editorial is typically what I go with. So uh, you're both I use edit- the term interchangeably because I don't care that much. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I want to get it right. So you're, you're editorial cartoonists. And uh, so tell us, so, you know, give us like the, the real kind of uh, nuts and bolts day to day. Like you, you know, you're sitting there at your desk uh, in your home office or you're, or you're, you're in the newsroom and uh, you got to pick a subject. You got to think about the tone and the content, you know, work us from scratch on, on developing one of your, on one of your works? Well, um, I'll go first. Uh, you know, it's, it's a grind. I mean, uh, I do, I produce five cartoons a week. Um, and you know, starting when I started this job 18 years ago, it was black and white for the paper, um, for the newspaper. And I would get some email and written letters and, you know, so doing five cartoons that way was still a lot of work because of the creative pressure and the deadlines. But now, fast forward to today, um, you know, I'm, I'm adding, you know, full color to each of the cartoons and fully engaging on social media, you know, trying to really embrace the digital side and between interacting with people and um, kind of being an ambassador for the news with my work, it's it's kind of nonstop for me anyway. Um, but yeah, it's, it's always reading, consuming the news. Uh, I treat my work as uh, myself as like a visual, um, you know, columnist, a visual opinion maker. So um, just constantly consuming and juggling, you know, which topics I'd like to comment on, planning out which days um, would make sense for different topics, kind of forecasting if something is kind of more volatile, try to comment on that right away. Um, And yeah, it really is like three phases in my day. There's like the consuming news and, and coming up with my opinions, which is similar to like an opinion writer, just sort of really crafting the message. Um, Once I get, you know, what I want to say down to a concise form, then I kind of go into sort of this brainstorming couple hours of just coming up with different concepts or metaphors, or sometimes it's a written narrative, um, different ways to express that message. And, you know, um, that that part is more the the deadline stress of trying to get those ideas ready. And, and then around two o'clock, um, you know, I'm working from home mostly. So I'll digitally send a bunch of ideas to different people or show my wife who also works from home and make a decision, pick one of my cartoons and execute, you know, two or three o'clock to four, uh, one to two hours of just drawing and, and dealing with like the visual, um, illustration side and, and how it communicates. So, so it's, I love it because it changes each throughout the day. You're kind of doing, using different hats in a way. It keeps mm-hmm. it really, really different. And then each day you can also comment on a different topic. Um, and if for me, I'm very critical of my work and myself, so I can, there's always tomorrow, you know, it's like working for a newspaper. It's, you know, disposable people use it on the bottom of bird cages. So it's, you know, it's good to remind yourself to not t- take yourself too seriously. And there's always the next day's work. Yeah. I, I, on that t- note, I'm not sure I've ever drawn a perfect cartoon. I've drawn a cartoon that gets finished for deadline and then you, and then you move on to the next one. You know, that's kind of the joy of the, of the, of the daily process. I don't do as many cartoons as Adam does. I usually draw between three, and for a week, um, because I also have some other duties at the newspaper, including editing all the letters to the editor. Um, I run a, a weekly caption contest at the newspaper, and I draw a weekly comic strip um, about sort of Madison life. But on the days where I do sort of focus on editorial cartooning, I have a very similar process where you're sort of 
I mean, I never stopped consuming the news. So, so I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, especially. Yeah, shout out to it's, is that is that called a meta plug or something like that? But um, <laughs> but oftentimes, you know, and I I usually set aside about three hours to complete an editorial. I've I've just got this new schedule where I'm setting aside three hours to complete a cartoon once I have an idea sort of finalized. And during that three hour period of time, I'm listening to podcasts and listening to the news and, and already thinking about the next day's cartoon. I will often, you know, or or the next cart, you know, the next cartoon. I will often take out a sketchbook and sketch down some notes while I'm drawing that day's cartoon to just to prepare for the next day. So I'm, so I'm ready to go because it is sort of a nonstop grind. I have sort of a, a weekly schedule where, you know, Monday sort of starts off and, and then by the time it's Thursday afternoon, I'm, I'm running a gazillion miles an hour to get everything done for the weekend. And then I take a deep breath on Friday and tune out of, of everything for the weekend and then start, a, start it all up again. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I, I feel like my schedule is very much weekly and not necessarily as much as it is daily, but um, maybe that's just for the nature of my job. And I don't know if you can agree with this, but for me, um, the the best when the ideas that come are most often it's not like chronological where you sit down okay i'm going to draw this cartoon so i'm going to read about this issue and then now i have to get my idea kind of how i explained it often what will happen is you have these issues in the back burner on your head and you're reading about stuff all the time so for me from being active physically especially it helps you know the creative process or something if i'm going for a walk i go for often a daily run and i'll you know, often stop in the middle of the run if I'm think if an idea comes to me and I'm jotting it on my phone. I used to write notes all the time because I forget everything. So now I'm just writing it on my phone. But I do feel like most of my cartoons I think of are at weird times or doing something, driving, running, always in motion, not just sitting in front of the drawing table thinking like magically I need this idea to appear. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, sometimes it is a matter of just sitting at the drawing table, and and uh, you, you know, you and I've been doing this long enough where I can I can squeeze out an idea if I sit down at a drawing table for half hour to an hour. It's not necessarily the world's greatest idea, um, but I can I can make something work. Um, I can force myself to be, I mean, use the air quotes, creative in that way you know, right. on a deadline. Um, but yeah, I have definitely, you know, the the phone, you know, you look like you run. I run as well. I just don't look like I run. So I was uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I do take notes on my phone when I'm running. I'd say at least six to 10 times a year, I wake up in the middle of the night and have to write something down yeah. because I just had an idea in the middle of the night. And sometimes it's complete garbage and sometimes it's really brilliant. <laughs> um, I know that my one of my favorite cartoons I ever drew, and this is probably 10 years ago, I, I literally literally came to me in the shower, you know, yep. and yeah. so that happens you know, soon. Yeah. <laughs> in the shower, you're just like, that'll be a great cartoon. And it was a great cartoon. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I never know, like, so tomorrow's cartoon, which I drew yesterday, cause it's running in a bunch of papers across the enterprises. Um, you know, that cartoon was inspired, literally inspired by my son's Halloween costume. And it's, it's kids wearing Halloween costumes. They could scare adults. And my son said this year, he wants to go as things that will scare adults. So he's going as an armed, an armed IRS agent and his friend is going <laughs> as gas prices and his other friend is going as inflation, you know? And so, I mean, it's not like the most earth shattering cartoon idea, but it was like, my kid came up with this because he's sarcastic like me. So I appreciated it. I wish I could remember the quote uh, when you were talking about waking up in the middle of the night 
the Liz Lemon quote from 30 Rock. She talks about doing that. And, you know, and then she reads it back later. It's like, you know, electric toilet, like all the worst ideas. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, uh, so yeah, you guys have been doing this for a while and, um, our politics has become more poisonous, has become more heated, more fraught, uh, more tribal. And so tell us about that experience of, of how things have changed over time, the kinds of negative feedback maybe you get. Do you get hate mail? You know, tell us about the the political environment and, and your particularly sort of, um, you know, hot button place in it. Um, well, well, so drawing in Buffalo in Western New York is it's definitely Western New York is the region is, is a great microcosm for America because um, the, the Western New York rural area is, is as red as red can be. It's like Appalachia red. Um, and, and then the city is blue collar um, Democrat. Uh, and a lot of young people have been moving in lately. So it's, there's, there's a lot, there's a good mix of that, that energy and that dichotomy, which is common around the country. Um, so Yes. And but this over the years, the toxicity has really changed the nature of what we do in terms of our engagement with the readers. And I, I do remember, um, you know, for years and years and years, uh, the, the, I would get hate mail, of course. And that that's, you know, still the same. What's different was I, I received a lot of like intelligent criticism from people who respectfully disagreed. And we'd actually have a conversation. I had a, probably a, a list of five to ten regular uh, conservative critics of my work that I would engage with. And they were, they were like, they they would say, I respect your work and I was impressed by this, but like, you know, we would get into a debate and we would disagree. Um, I wouldn't spend a lot of time with, I didn't have tons of time to do that, but that was just a big part of my job as I thought is to engage the public. And when I would see on Facebook um, and social media, you would, you would get a less toxic engagement. Now, at this point, I don't engage at all because most of the negative feedback is name calling. And we, we exist on two different planes of truth, you know, um, because the rift is so big between what is given to be true. You can't have a productive discussion. Um, you can't agree to disagree if you don't even agree on the facts. So it, that's become really toxic. So it's, it's kind of sad. Um, in a way, you were kind of preaching to a couple echo chambers. And I do feel like there are times where I, I try to now I, I'm conscious about trying with my commentary to make a statement um, or to cover topics that are clearly nonpartisan and, and see. And a lot of times I love I really cherish the feedback when it's like someone that's clearly someone that doesn't love my work. They'll, they'll tell me that and they'll say this one was great, um, but it's, it's really hard. I like to be take a sense of humor with it, though, because some of my readers who are sending hate mail can be just creepy and awful. And the serious side of it is during the Trump years, it got, uh, it escalated, you know, um, and I got ahead to get the police involved um, with uh, a couple of times. Um, one gentleman in particular, there's a lot of threats and repeated threats. And it's just kind of the, sadly, the nature of what we're doing. Um, but, you, you know, since the first election, the election of Donald Trump, like that had opened up, you know, it empowered a group of people um, to sort of own that hatred and, uh, and go full throated with it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't see an end to this, even with Trump not in office, as he still, you know, what he created kind of lives on. Um, Phil, do you get a ton of hate mail, uh, at this point? Yeah, I do. Um, I'm more likely to get hate mail from the left than from the right nowadays. I wouldn't say bipartisan hate here. 
I wouldn't <laughs> say I'm significantly more conservative than you are, Adam, but I'm in a town where the fact that I would consider myself a moderate person makes me a right wing nutjob <laughs> to most people in Madison, you know, and so. Um, and, and I also think, unfortunately, so many people who are consuming conservative news sources nowadays aren't consume, consuming the daily newspaper. You know, <laughs> you know, they're they're not reading my cartoons on a consistent basis. Maybe they're seeing them on Facebook and I get some critique through that. And there are still some good. I would call them traditional conservatives who take issue with my work from time to time. But if I want to piss people off, I draw a cartoon criticizing um, you know, uh, the defund the police movement or Madison city local officials. That's how I get people really riled up. I mean, I had a, um, was it two or three years ago? Uh, somebody called for a witch to put a curse on a particular <laughs> part of my body. Um, and, and, and so she did, uh, I don't think it worked. At least I don't know what it would mean if it did work. Uh, but so, I mean, that's sort of the most extreme thing that's happened. I haven't had to get the police involved recently um and not because of trump but uh but yeah so i i've found that yeah in madison is partic particularly you know the way to the way to get hate mail is to draw cartoons that are you know moderate to slightly right wing <laughs> that's really interesting i mean for me it was yeah it's a lot of the a lot of the trump cartoons or on that topic had generated especially the one guy that inspired the police but but i'll get a lot of people will cut out my cartoon from the paper and they'll edit it, scribble on it, write hateful stuff on it physically, which is very strange. And my favorite though, physical piece of mail is a, I got a giant package of, and I opened it up and I didn't know what this was all about, but it had things like tampons, uh, butt cream, um, you know, all like Vagisil, like all this stuff. And there was this big note that were just like, I hope you're nursing your wounds because of Trump and off. It was, I mean, like they spent probably 20 to $30 if at least on these products packaged that's, that's it, a lot of sent hatred. it. It was, I mean, the work, the time, the money that was involved in sending that message. But I mean, I gotta, I gotta give it to that person. I, I gotta, a massive hearty laugh out of that. <laughs> I do like I, I do like the scribbles on the cartoon. I did one cartoon with somebody criticizing Brett Favre once, like probably 10 years ago. And somebody wrote, it was a woman saying something disparaging towards Brett Favre. And he wrote on the paper, what a about the woman. <laughs> so for me, you said to get the most. Like you realize that woman's not real. <laughs> it's me. Right. Oh, oh, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The, uh, uh, the one last thing I'll add is in Buffalo, the thing that gets the most hate mail is if you criticize the bills, especially during oh, this. Oh, yeah. And oh, so yeah. I had a cartoon that was anti criticizing one of the bills who was anti-vax. So it was a combination of the mega and bills crowd. And I got Buffalo bills tweeting at me, you know, not, you know, not kind things, actual bills. So that, that I learned quickly that what's more sacred, like the religion in Buffalo is football. It's not you know Christianity. Yeah, you cross the streams of politics and bills. That's, That's uh, right. That's Egon right. told us never cross the streams. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Uh, like I'm not going to tell you guys what to do. I'm not saying I run the world's best podcast here or anything, but you know, I've heard a rumor that you two are thinking about doing a podcast, and I got to tell you, this is the kind of material you save for your own show. This is gold, Jerry. This is gold. <laughs> what you guys are telling me? A witch putting a hex on you? I mean, come on. You see, you got a curse. A curse. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think hexes are different, but I'm not entirely sure how. <laughs> <laughs>
I, yeah, I'm not an expert on that. I'll have to talk to a Wiccan or something. Uh, all right. So, uh, so, you know, the, the news industry, newspapers, you know, news media industry uh, has changed drastically. seems like it changed drastically every six months and uh, still changing, still evolving. I think many newspapers are trying to figure out where they sort of fit and how they're going to deliver and, and how they drive engagement, those sorts of things. So where do you see your particular niche of, of uh, editorial cartooning? Is it called cartooning? Is that a verb? Oh, yeah. 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 There you go. Will you make it? You can verb anything. Yeah. We'll verb it. So, how do you see uh, editorial cartooning fitting into the future of your industry? Um, I mean, for me, it's, you know, the young people want visuals, they want commentary, they want, you know, um, young people have short attention spans. Uh, I'm going to just say young people, like with our current media landscape, we all have short attention spans. We all want to. Vi- visually consume things. So cartoons really are tailor-made, um, even as antiquated as they feel and as historic as they are, um, they're really, it's a perfect sort of like well-crafted meme of journalism, really, you know, they're, they're easily consumable. It's like the fine wine, or I'm sorry, they're like the, the, the fine wine of memes, you know, if like memes are box wine, editorial cartoons are crafted with references and they're aged. Um, so, the, the, the challenge is to, you know, have the platform to do it and that'll make money. So I think cartoons will always be around as long as there's a space for them. And I think cartoons are just evolving visually as, you know, uh, the younger artists come of age, they just look different. You know, the, the style is different, but as long as it's artwork and it contains, you know, um, commentary of some sort, of some form, it doesn't have to look like the traditional editorial cartoon. It will be... Um, you know, visual opinion is what it really is and satire and all that stuff is not going away. It just, it's fractionalizing into different types. There's like some, some people are playing with animated cartoons, you know, before it used to just be, everyone had sort of like a monolithic, this is what it is. It's a single panel editorial cartoon. Now it's a wide array of, of different things that all kind of fall under the umbrella of, of visual opinion or visual satire. Um, but the big challenge is monetizing all that, you know, and like when the, what, what, you know, when the newspaper industry, which is typically relying on print advertising is, is struggling and morphing, um, we're just, you know, um, cartoonists are just a part of that. So we have to sort of weather the storm with them. Um, but I mean, I think the best news is like, if everything's going digital, we're just ready to go, um, you know, for, for easily consumable, uh, great content. Yeah. And I think, um, unfortunately, we are sort of tied to this news. I, I have trouble imagining another sort of organization besides a newspaper that's going to pay somebody like us to be sort of sarcastic and make fun of their community. Um, but I think and I but and so I, I hope that the newspaper industry in general can just sort of make this transition to di- the, the future is digital and, and, and us cartoonists are poised to, to create interesting elements that work digitally. I mean, I put out a gallery of my cartoons each week that gets a ton of traffic to the, to the website. You know, I'm doing podcasts on a regular basis. I create videos about me drawing cartoons. I think, you know, we just have to, as cartoonists, think about how do we move into this modern world while at the same time remembering this amazing tradition of of what we do going back hundreds of years, um, you know, in newspapers. I think 
I think our our fates are tied to them. And I'm hoping that the newspaper industry is coming over that hump and getting and figuring out how to make digital work. Um, you know, there are papers that are subscriber based nowadays that aren't relying on advertising as much. Um, and I think that's our way forward. I'm just hoping that our superiors are smart enough to figure it out before we're all laid off. <laughs> yeah, I would add, like, to your point, it is, I think that is the model is the way out is this subscriber base. And from what we're told, um, from my, our, some of our meetings, management has told us, uh, and from my research, like, like you said, the, the Boston Globe, I want to say, and the Star Tribune are two, like, sort of great examples of papers that have got enough digital subscribers where they don't, that they fund the newsroom with digital subscribers and they're big newspapers. And yeah. so we use that as like a, is like a guide for the Buffalo news. And, um, you know, so they're, they're trying to reach, you know, a certain number. It's like a, ma- there's like a magic number for us. If we reach that number of digital subscribers, which we're, we're reaching for, then we can sustain our newsroom solely on that. And the rest is just bonus, you know? Um, so, but we're not there yet and we're hopefully getting there. Um, but, um, but yeah, like you but said, I- we're tied to that fate though. I think Adam and I are the kind of people that make people want to subscribe to a to a website too. I think we provide the sort of engaging content with humor and and attitude and 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 compelling artwork. At least in Adam's case, really compelling artwork. Mine's just okay. But, <laughs> Come on, you know, don't be so humble. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I think I think we provide and 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 personality. I mean, like we I was going to say personality. We bring a flavor to the paper and, and everything we touch. Um, you know, so I think. I think we can be part of the solution going forward to save this. You know, we are the saviors of newspapers. I don't know. But I mean, I think we're part of the solution, not part of the problem. I actually get a number of students here at Chippensburg who are interested in going into your industry. Um, so don't. I don't know if you <laughs> don't want the competition. Yeah. But see, you know, how does somebody make their way into uh, editorial cartooning or if you want to talk about your industry more generally? Well, I'm still a failure. I've always wanted to have a nationally syndicated comic strip like like Bill Watterson or Calvin Hobbs. Like that's really that's what I really want to do. And I'm just doing this to pay the bills right now. No, I mean, <laughs> you are young. You have plenty of time to do that, Bill. <laughs> plenty of time. <laughs> plenty of time. <laughs> plenty of time. No, um, no, I mean, it's I don't I mean, the, the way you get into the business is you draw cartoons. And the best way to do that is at local newspapers, you know, and, and you know, I, I wouldn't. I, I, every time I meet a young cartoonist, I say, don't, I don't want to see a cartoon about Trump. I don't want to see a cartoon about Joe Biden. I want to see a cartoon about what's going on in your community, your city council meetings. That's how I got my start. When I was 16 years old, I was working for the Gross Point News in, in, in Gross Point, Michigan. And I would go to city council meetings and sketch the city council people there. And they were terrified of me. And that was real power, you know, <laughs> as a 16 year old kid. So that's what I would tell somebody who's interested in doing it is to, is to stay local and do the kind of stuff that me and Adam aren't going to draw about because that's your niche. Cause we're really good at what we do. You don't want to compete with us. It's a hundred percent true. You got to do local work. I mean, to me, it was like a piece when I saw at one point I saw um, Conan O'Brien live with, a, he was giving a talk at UB and this is, I was, I was younger and, and he, he said for comedy writers, and I mean, this is applied to, I thought cartoonists or just content creators. Um, 
He's like, you got to give someone they can use something they can use right now that they can't get somewhere else. You put something in somebody's hands that they think I can use this. It's good material. I can use it now. And I can't get it from a syndicate wire or something like that. And to me, that's a local cartoon. So when I got an internship in the Buffalo News, I started the same way Phil did with, with local work. I was kind of brought in by Margaret Sullivan, um, who was, I was fortunate to sort of, she saw potential in me and my work was extremely rough, but I would just focus on starting one and then two local cartoons a week along with illustrations. And I just worked in the art department, like many cartoonists, just getting your foot in the door. And then from there, trying to create a spot or, or, you know, show them what the paper's missing by not having something like this. And cartoonists are unique in journalism in that there's not like something you can, you can't go to journalism school for cartooning. So we come from all different backgrounds because we're really commenting about all different issues. And um, for me, I was computer science and math and, you know, it just, I was compelled to draw and those skills surprisingly translated with just speaking in metaphor and that type of thing. And, but that you need to sort of just create the more you work and the more you try to get your work out there, that's, you know, that's how you, that's how you make it happen. Um, so start local. Um, but I, I would definitely say yes to all the cartoonists more. I'm not saying don't, I'm not, I want, there should be double the amount of cartoonists. I think, uh, you know, competition would be good. Yeah. I always, I was joking when I said, don't, it's not like I'm worried about them coming from my job, but what some, some cartoonists is- tell people, no, don't, you know what I mean? They're like, don't, don't get into this no, industry. I mean, <laughs> when I get asked to speak at career days, I, I say, I don't want to speak to career day. I don't feel like it's fair to give kids the false <laughs> hope that someday you're going to have this job at a newspaper, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah. I, that's what I, that's what I was coming to when I, I you know, I'm I, it was, it come for my job, man, you know, make me work for it. You know, makes me, you know, I don't want to get fat and complacent, you know? Um, Cause we, you know, that does happen out there. You know, people do get sort of used to what they're doing and you gotta, you gotta stay fresh. You gotta be, you know, it's like anything you gotta be working to be the best. Otherwise, you just you, know, you start to lose it. All right. Best part of being a cartoonist. I would say the best part about being a cartoonist um, for me, uh, anyway, just is getting feedback to be, be getting getting that community response, positive or negative, knowing that you have some kind of impact. I would say my real answer is that I get to use both sides of the brain every day, you know, and so I get to be both creative and really analytical. Um, I'd say my fake answer is that it's, it's always fun to, when people tell you, ask what you do at a cocktail party. (laughs) Worst part of being a cartoonist. I would say the stress of the daily deadline and never being fully happy with my work. Deadlines and, and writer's block, you know, that moment where you feel like what the, you know, it's, I still get it on a probably at least once a week where I'm like, I've been doing this for 30 years. You'd think I would know how to do it, you know? Uh, and, and it, it, it usually comes, but there's, our, there's, there's that doubt all the time, you know? And I also just feel like not being able to turn that switch off, which I've grown and matured to the point where I can do that better, but it's hard to sort of just turn off that switch of analytically, creatively thinking about stuff all the time. Have you tried drinking? Works for me. <laughs> I mean, I, it's it helps, but I, I wouldn't say it turns it off completely. <laughs> I hate to end on a down note, but uh, I do got to ask you both since you're you're on the show. Uh, so, last question here: um, How are you feeling about the fate of our democracy at the moment? I mean, I think in certain ways, 
it, it can't ever get fully 100% back in my mind, but I think we can start chipping away. I mean, um, it's hard to put the genie back in the bottle, I guess is my opinion. Um, but if we can kind of halt the unraveling and, and so we kind of piece together, um, you have to, we have to fight for it. Yeah, I'm not, I guess at one point I'm not optimistic, but I have a hard time imagining a world where it's, it's gone away. Um, I, I just, we have to figure, we have to get facts in front of people again. We have too many people that just completely ignore reality. And I would say on actually both sides of the spectrum, honestly, I mean, there are lots of progressives who live in their own crazy little world where they just can't see beyond their own nose that how ridiculous the rest of the world thinks things are. Um, and so I, I think we just need to get outside of our bubbles and understand how other people think about issues. And, and I think that's the best way forward. And it'd be nice to have a political, if we, if we didn't have one political party that was completely undermining truth, reality, and, and, um, and the democracy. I, I feel like it's a generational It'll take it'll take a generation to fully move the ship that much. And I, I think it's social media has to be a, a part of it. The traditional media and the political system, whether that's a third party becoming an option. But like it, it's going to it's not going to be a quick fix. There are a lot of people. I mean, there's always been a lot of people that weren't savvy news consumers. The problem is nowadays there the Internet is full of really lousy information that that poisons people's brains to truth and reality. Yeah. Phil Hands, Adam Ziglis, thank you guys so much for joining the program today. It's been a pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me. We'll have to do this again sometime. Happy trails to you Until we meet again Happy trails to you Keep smiling until then about the clouds when we're together just sing a song and bring the sunny weather happy trails to you till we meet Take a liking to you.